It's kind of intense today. You will learn a little about what makes me tick, why I am the way I am. It's a long text, so I'm gonna let you stay seated until we pray. Um, Acts 6, 5. I gave these notes to the computer people very, very late, and so you might not get all of this up on the screen. Acts chapter 6 begins with the apostles appointing seven men to help wait and serve on tables. And verse 5, it says, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So Stephen is the first of seven. We're going to talk about that text. We're going to talk about Philip next week, and then we'll talk about all of the, what went on in Acts 6. But in verse 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. We have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then he starts preaching. He preaches one of the longest sermons in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7. And then this is at the end of the sermon. He says this, starting in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? And we're going to just pray for his help here. Lord, we want to honor the Holy Spirit's work here today. We want you to come and speak whatever needs to be spoken. We are asking you to burn 
out every religious spirit that would hold us, every spirit of control that would deceive us. Wash us, cleanse us, and fill us. Lord, would you speak to each one just what they need to hear from you today? We will give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is Honoring the Holy Spirit. So we have some very, very strong words. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You are stubborn of heart. And you, we have this picture of what it looks like to be against, to be very religious, but against the Holy Spirit. And then we have a picture of Stephen, this young man filled with the Holy Spirit, starts out serving tables, starts walking in signs and wonders. His face becomes like an angel's. He's the one that speaks these very strong words. And, 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 and he has this prophetic experience where he sees heaven open and Jesus at the right hand and standing up, waiting to welcome him. And, and we see what it looks like to honor the Holy Spirit. And so we all want to be in that camp that honors the Holy Spirit. What does that look like exactly? First, embracing the Spirit's discipline. Proverbs 29.1 Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Jesus spoke about this very thing as the sin against the Holy Spirit. That the, the sin against the Holy Spirit cannot be committed all at once. I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. I made the wrong judgment. No, no, no. You have to resist his discipline again and again and again and again. And all the ways he's reaching out. And at some point, God takes no as your, your final answer. I want you to think for a moment about the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are the leaders of Israel. There's 70 leaders. Most are Sadducees. The other third are Pharisees. Um, two different groups that were leading Israel. I want you to think for a moment about the Spirit's work in them. They are the ones that crucified Jesus. So, so they've already seen the, and kind of pushed for and set up this trial of Jesus. They've already seen um, Jesus and, and what happened there. And that's number one. And so um, then the, the early church starts and, and, and they see they're given this miracle. This, this guy that was 40 years old, uh, uh, crippled from birth, is miraculously healed Peter and John are brought before the same group, the same Sanhedrin, and they speak with such confidence and such authority, and these guys are astonished by their confidence because they're uneducated and unschooled men. And then they remember, oh my, these are the ones that were with Jesus. And they, they, they see this miracle, they see this 
confidence that, and, and it's all connected to Jesus. And they, at that point, they rebuke them and say, stop teaching in his name, go, leave. And so they, they leave, they go back, they have this prayer meeting and not long, and they, they're praying for boldness. They're praying that signs and wonders would be done through Jesus. And, and sure enough, the next chapter, signs and wonders are being done by the apostles. And um, Sanhedrin arrests them again. And now they've arrested all of the apostles. They're all in jail at the same time. All of the, all of the, 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 well, 11, original 11 and the 12th that was added in. Um, during the night before the trial, an angel lets them out of prison. And so the next morning, the guards go to let them out and they're not there anymore. And then somebody says, oh, they're pre those guys are preaching at the temple. And so once again, they're brought before the Sanhedrin. Same group. And these guys have seen a lot of stuff. And this time, once again, it's all brought up about Jesus and you guys killed Jesus and, you, and they get enraged and, um, and, they, and they do want to kill them then. And uh, Gamaliel stands up. He's the, he's the top guy. He's Josephus, who writes at that time, says he was the most respected rabbi of that time. He stands up and says, watch out. Watch out. If what they're saying is not of God... It is going to fizzle out on its own without you doing anything. But if, if, they're, if what they're doing is God, you will actually be fighting against God. You guys need to be very, very careful. And so they don't stone them. They flog them. They tell, warn them again. Don't speak in his name anymore. And now we have Stephen. Not one of the original apostles, just, just a guy. And he is brought before this same group. I want you to think of God's love for people and God giving these guys witness after witness after witness. And, and, and Stephen is brought before him and they, they make these accusations against Stephen that are almost identical to the accusations that were brought against Jesus. And and then Stephen starts this, they're accusing him of, of being against Moses and being against the temple. And, and then Stephen's face turns like an angel's face right in front of them. They, they see the glory of God on him. And, and Stephen starts speaking this message, which we'll get into in, in a while. Um, but they see this. And then they receive these words. From Stephen that are some of the strongest words in the New Testament. Why do you always resist the Holy Spirit? You are being stubborn in your heart. These are boom, boom. And Pastor Tom, I don't think that Jesus would ever speak like that. Oh, he said almost the identical words in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus had nothing but tenderness toward sinners and people that were honest, but against the religious spirit, he came like dynamite. Why? Because he loves them. He wants to blast them out of it. They're, they're stuck in something, and they're so sure they're right that they need it. it, it it's, it's a blast. And then Stephen has this prophetic experience and says, I see heaven open, I see Jesus, and they literally cover their ears and start screaming. And they're given this witness 
that their religion has them angry to the point of killing somebody, filled with rage, and they see this other guy that looks like an angel who, as they're stoning him, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, or in one translation, I commit my spirit to you. Very much like Jesus saying, Father, I commit my spirit to you. And that's saying almost the exact same words of Jesus. He says, don't hold this against them. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They are seeing Jesus, again, now in one of his disciples. They are seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in a human being. This is the Holy Spirit speaking in many, many different ways to the same group of people who are resisting the Holy Spirit. And then, they, and then he's got one last one. The Bible says there was a man named Saul that was overseeing this. Well, Saul was like their first draft choice. He is the next guy up. He's been trained by Gamaliel. He is, he's a rising star. He's going to be on the Sanhedrin. And to top it all off, God converts Saul and makes him the apostle Paul. What a, what a sign. The greatest sign and wonder you're ever going to see is a person that changes in front of you. That is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That is God's message to you. When you see people change that don't change, and you see their lives change, that is a message from the Holy Spirit. Be responsive to the Spirit's discipline. Here is his progression. First, he will speak directly to your heart. He will speak, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, that when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. When the Holy Spirit is immediately addressing you, you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. You don't have any, you, you, you can't stay neutral when the Holy Spirit speaks. You either have to respond and become softer or harden yourself and justify your sin, make excuses for yourself. When the Holy Spirit is addressing something, there has to be a response. You can hear a hundred sermons, a hundred things, but when the Holy Spirit himself is speaking, you're, you either have to harden yourself or respond to it. And that's his number one way that he wants to change your life, is just him speaking to you. And you gaining this, it's about relationship. This is, this is how parents want their kids to change. Listen to me. Just listen to me. Don't make me spank you. Don't make me give you timeouts. Don't make me. I just, just, I give you an instruction. I want you to follow it for your own good. But oftentimes, we don't listen to that direct path. So the second thing is he uses his circumstances Psalm 32, 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on, on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. 
When you don't respond, when we don't respond, when we harden ourselves, when we don't think it's a big deal and we find ways, usually when the Holy Spirit's speaking, we can distract ourselves in a thousand ways to not respond. It's not like he gives up on us. (laughs) He loves us too much and he's not going to let you destroy yourself. He's not going to let you destroy yourself in this life or in eternal life. He is going to continue to come after you. He is jealous for you. He is jealous for your work that the Father created, that the Son redeemed. He loves us and wants us. So um, he's got a second method. Okay? You don't, want to, you don't want to respond to just my eye on you. All right, let's go to the bit and bridle. The bit and bridle re- represent circumstances. He can make circumstances that, that make our life such that w- we, we, need, we need God. We need God's help. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 that endure all hardship, treat all hardship as if it's discipline. God wants us close to him. And he uses discipline to bring us close. He, he uses discipline to get our attention. The Bible says discipline is not punishment. It is God, God, it, it's part of God's acceptance. God, those who God delights in, he disciplines. And, and part of discipline and part of circumstances are not correction. Sometimes it's just training. Sometimes it's the only way we can get it is through experiencing something. How many know that that's true? Sometimes the, the best way you learn things is you go through something and it's like, oh, that's what that means. Oh, that's why that's bad. Why? You experienced it. You know it. You now have authority because, oh, I, I've got more than just what the Bible says. I've got the experience that I went through. Let me tell you how it is. And so he's got circumstances. So he arranges circumstances, and he 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 can he uses all of this um, to bring us closer to God to get our attention. And then thirdly, he uses people. When lives change around you, when 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 God is working in others and they speak to you, that is God speaking. That is God using a voice. Sometimes that voice comes from up front. Sometimes that voice comes from a friend. Sometimes that comes from not even a voice, just a changed life that the Holy Spirit is saying, look at this. The Holy Spirit will use both negative and positive. He will show you lives that are a disaster and say, now, don't do what they did. Learn. You don't don't have to have your own life be a disaster. Here's where you're heading. They're already there. Stop doing what you're doing. And he'll use positive examples. And he speaks through people. Don't keep resisting the Holy Spirit. Embrace his discipline. Get on the same page as the Holy Spirit. That's part of how we honor him. Secondly, be humble before his word. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. It says that, that these are not human words, that men inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote them. This is a supernatural book. So Jesus was a person of the book. Anybody that loves God is going to be a person of the book. Now, here's the problem. Because the Holy Spirit wrote this, 
He's the only one that knows the right interpretation. And what happens oftentimes is in our pride, we think we know. We think we know. We get very dogmatic. We get very hard. We get very... And the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote this book. And so these guys are using the Bible to say, he's against Moses. He's against the temple. He's, I've heard him say this. I've heard him... And they're attacking him. And then Stephen rises up. And he gives the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the Old Testament. It's a beautiful sermon. It's like an Old Testament survey. He starts with Abraham. He says, God called Abraham. He stands up, his face is like an angel, and he says, God called Abraham from the land of Ur, and he gave him a promise that if you would leave your people, that, that God would bless him, and, and he would make him a blessing to the nations. And then his son Isaac had a son Jacob, and Jacob wrestled with God and became Israel. And so this is where the 12 tribes come. And he says, and he had 12 sons, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons was named Joseph. And God sent Joseph ahead to Egypt because there was a great famine that was coming. And, and so he took all of the 75 down to Egypt, and that's where the nation grew while they became slaves. And then 400 years later, God raised up Moses. And Moses, God appeared to Moses in the, in the burning bush. And, and God said, I am going to save my people. I'm going to deliver my people through you. And you are going to rule my people. And so Moses, through signs and wonders, is approved by God as their deliverer and their judge. But that's not all he was. He was also a prophet. And he said, guys, he said, there's another one coming, a prophet like me who's going to save and deliver, and he's the one I am pointing to. And, and Stephen says, and they resisted Moses then. They, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They made idols while they were in the wilderness. They resisted him then. And today you're doing the same thing. You're resisting God's Savior and God's Deliverer who Moses himself was pointing to. And then he says, and then Moses didn't get them in, but Joshua did get them into the land. And generations went past, and God raised up David, and he spoke to David because David wanted to build a house for God. They had the tabernacle that, that, that was a mobile temple, but David wanted to build a, a firm home, a spot for God. But David, Stephen says, had, had a lot of violence, so God said, You're, you can't build it. It's going to be your son Solomon. And so Solomon built this temple. And Solomon at the dedication said, the highest heavens cannot contain you. You, you, don't, you can't live in this house. You, the highest We can't contain you. We can't control you by a house. The highest heavens can't hold you. But this will be your place of sacrifice. And this will be your place where we, we offer and make things right with you. And then he quotes Isaiah 66. He says, as the prophets, and I'm going to read it to you, Isaiah chapter 66, 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne 
and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. That God's plan from the beginning was not to dwell in buildings, but to dwell in people, and a certain type of people, a people that are humble and contrite, yielding to the Holy Spirit, not the proud and arrogant, those who tremble at his word rather than take his word like a hammer that makes us the ones in control. Here's what Jesus said. John 5, 39 and 40. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The Pharisees are the most religious, the most committed to the scriptures, and their whole life is examining the scriptures, but because they're not getting the Holy Spirit's interpretation, they're not getting life. These very scriptures speak of me. The, the purpose of the scriptures is to turn us to Christ. And, and, and you guys think this is the answer, and this has the answer, but you're resisting the Spirit who wrote them. Let me tell you something about the Bible, guys. If it doesn't produce life in you, if you're dead inside, you're not right. I don't care how many verses you know. I don't care how strong your argument is. If you're dead, you're not right. Well, you're dead right. No, if you're dead, you're not right. <laughs> this, this, the Spirit, when we read the, this through the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Scripture is to bring life to us. So I'm very, I'm very concerned today because there are lots of voices in America right now, lots of voices on the internet, and I, I want to speak of two of the voices. One of them is spirit-filled people who are trying to help us in the charismatic movement that loves the Holy Spirit to examine extremes and manipulation. And, and, and they write honestly and they write compassionately, but to expose extremes and to expose manipulation that is in the charismatic movement, which has been, it's, it's just very easy in the anointing and in the, in the power of the Spirit to use it the wrong way. And so the, the Bible tells us, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't quench the Spirit, um, don't by despising prophecy. Prophecy is anything that God's doing right now. But rather, examine everything and then cling to what is good. That we, we are supposed to examine, we need to examine, and, but it's with a heart, of, not of cynicism, because God is moving and God is speaking. We're looking for what's God in things. <laughs> And, and we're clinging to what is of God. And we're recognizing it's coming through human vessels. And, and so you examine it and you take what is God. 
And this is very important. And when the charismatic movement stops allowing itself to be examined, where I'm of God, what I'm saying is of God, don't examine it, don't, you know, you just need to trust me. Well, we don't trust you. We, we don't trust you. Here's what we trust, this. The Holy Spirit gave us this book, and the Holy Spirit will never contradict himself where something present is happening that contradicts what's in here. Well, there's a second voice on the internet, and I'm very troubled by it. And this is people that are cessationists. They, they do not believe that miracles still happen or that the gifts of the Spirit happen, that there aren't tongues today, there aren't healings, and, but they cleverly disguise that their theology is cessationism, and what they use their platform for is to attack any charismatic leader today, men or women, and just call them false prophets. They're false, they're fa false church, false prophet, false, 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 false. Uh, and wh why, why are they so sure they're right and so sure they're false? Listen, if you start with there can't be miracles and there can't be gifts of the Holy Spirit, then anybody that has gifts or miracles has to be false. And so there's this great boldness on them to announce false, 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 and it, and it, and it poisons the thinking of the body of Christ. And it's all, it's all quoting the word of God and using the word of God. Listen, if you're so sure that you got the right interpretation of the Bible, I've, my interpretation of the Bible is the right interpretation. Listen, could we have a little humility? If Paul said that he saw in part is it possible that you see in part? Is it possible that you don't have a right to comment on everything that you haven't experienced? That, that you're not the one that's supposed to judge every leader and every... And once again, I'm not defending excesses and manipulation, but listen, a lot of very prominent charismatic leaders are called false all over the internet, and it's, it's really, it grieves the Holy Spirit. In fact... It's the modern-day Sanhedrin. So sure they're right, but dead inside. When your whole ministry is to criticize other people, how many know that's problematic? That's just a problem. Don't we all have enough on our own plate? Praise God, two people think I'm right. Um, this is the Holy Spirit's book. We must be people of the word, but we also need to approach it with tremendous humility. One of the sayings that we have here is from the early fathers. In essentials, unity. And the most of what we share with other, we, we share a lot more with other believers than we disagree with. In non-essentials, liberty. Give people freedom to think a little differently than you about this, that, or the other thing. And in all things, charity. Now, it should just be a sign to you. When you're really, really mean and filled with anger and rage, and the charismatic people you're criticizing are filled with joy and love and peace, they're... Anyway, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Point three. We're almost done. No, we're not. 
be unashamed of his presence. Stephen has a prophetic experience where he sees Jesus, heaven opens, he sees Jesus, and then he tells about it. And when he tells about it, they go nuts. They cover their ears and start screaming. The religious spirit hates the present moving of the spirit in the, in the right now. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding in the blood of the prophets. So let's talk about their, their fathers. They, they, they keep the law, they follow the law, they believe in the law, but when God is moving among them, it threatens control, so they kill what's right in front of them that's God. And Jesus said, you're just like them. And how many know they were? Why? They, built, they, they, they honored the prophets. They honored the moves of God in the past, and they crucified Jesus. The religious spirit absolutely resents God moving right now. Why? Control. The issue is control. See, I, if it's just God in the past, and I can just remove God from now to the past, and I can honor the past and, and keep in control today, but I, if you bring God into the present, I have to humble myself. I have to change. I have to acknowledge that he's here. I have to make a response. But if I can put it all in the past, I can retain control. It's called a religious spirit. All of us will choose between image and anointing. 2 Samuel 6.16 As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched him from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. When the ark came in, the manifest presence of God rested on it. And David's human response to it was to dance crazy. And he was a little wild. And, but he wasn't thinking about the people. He was thinking about God and how great God is. And, and he's like, I'll be even more undignified than this. But what Michael was concerned about was image. It was all about image. This is, I'm a daughter of a king, and there's a certain proper way that people should act. And, and she despises this response to the manifest presence of God and God's indictment on her is this divine barrenness, and it's not just physical with children. She loses her spiritual 
inheritance. I don't know if you've ever thought about Michael, but Michael was the preferred wife of David. He was his, his first wife. He's the one that when Saul died, he fought to get her back. Michael's rejection of David, this despising of David, probably is what opened a door up for Bathsheba later. Solomon ends up being Bathsheba's later child. It's very possible that Michael would have had the child that would have been Solomon and would have held the king. But there was this, this barrenness that came from heaven on Michael. Because she chose image, what everybody else is going to think over anointing. And I believe with all my heart that every one of us makes that choice. You decide. Is it going to be all about how you appear to everybody else? Is it going to be all about that? Or are you willing to be anointed? Whatever it looks like. Whatever, whatever it looks like, God. So I'm going to end with three stories. First one 1993, I'm one year the senior pastor at Faustin, Minnesota. First time I'm a senior pastor. I just want everything to go good, but I'm pastoring, and it's over a year now. It's a Pentecostal church, but in name only. There is nothing happening in this church, and it doesn't disturb the people. We just, we go in, we go out. I say a few things. We go out. Nice, nice, nice. Nice message, Pastor, and 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 just life is going on, and there's there's no there's no life, and so I hear about this guy from South Africa who's leading revivals everywhere, and everywhere he goes, things are happening, and so it, he had come to Breckenridge. Actually, Derek was at the church when this guy was there, and revival broke out in Breckenridge, and and so I I brought this guy uh, named Robert Fisher to. Montevideo, or to Faustin. And oh, he could only do one service. And he gets done preaching. And I, I'm talking to, to the pastor at Breckenridge. I'm like, you know, what, like, what types of things might happen? I'm like, what if nothing happens? He said, oh no, things will happen. Trust me, things will happen. I'm like, okay, let's just see. We need things to happen. We need something to happen. So he, he gets done preaching. He has us all stand. And he says, uh, he says, right now, he says, the, the Holy Spirit is, a is touching right now a few of you. And all of a sudden, I just feel this weight come on me. And I'm like, boom. And I'm, I'm, I'm barely staying. He said, I want those people to come up. And it was me and two other people. And I'm right here in our sanctuary. I'm right between the front pews. And he puts a finger on me. And I go over. And I'm laying on the ground. And I, I, I can't move. And while this is happening... He prays for the other two. They go over, and then people just start coming and all over our church. It's like a hospital ward, up and down the aisles. People, one, one of our deacons fell over, and there was no one there to catch him, and he bounced twice. His head bounced twice on the floor, and he never felt a thing. He, he said he was just in the arms of God, but his poor three-year-old son came over and thought his dad had died. I mean, his, his son is just watching him. So, so this is happening all over the church, and, and it gets to the end of the service, and there I'm laying, and I'm like, Lord, I, I need to dismiss the church right now. I'm the, I'm the pastor. I give the invitation to tonight, and I can't move. And the only words I hear is, 
let go of control. Let go. And so Robert himself dismisses the service. And now I'm supposed to be out there saying goodbye to people. And there I am. And everybody leaves. And I'm not sure what happened until that night. This was the single most powerful service we had that Sunday night. That Sunday night, it was like a hymn sing. But people wanted to testify. And one after another after another said what God did that morning and what God awakened in them and what they got free from. And they remembered the joy of their salvation and, and a testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony. And I'm like, oh my, we're going to have revival here. And then that week, one of the ladies that had got prayed for, who didn't come Sunday night, but she had been prayed for and fell over, said that it was the devil. And, and it wasn't just anybody. It was a deacon's wife. And she was also the mother of our main worship leader. So this is very problematic. And my thought was, well, he's not, he's not going to be here next week. And so we'll just clean this up. And so we did. Church was fine. Went right back to how it had been. Fast forward to 1996. Nine of us go down to Toronto. The Toronto blessing at this time has broken out. And we go down there, and it's crazy. And people falling, laughing, shaking, crying. It's all, it's all happening, and it's, it's startling. And, I, and in our group, everybody had experienced at least one of them. We couldn't make fun of anything because we had experienced it all. And we're on our way back, and I'm just asking God. I'm like, God, your people are sheep, and sheep don't do well when they're afraid. How can all of this scary stuff be you? And I read, I, I read the book by the, the pastor, John Arnott, who, who was there, and I read the whole book, and I, I, I just wasn't satisfied. I said, God, how, how, why are you doing it like this? And the verse came to me, Luke eleven thirteen. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your spirit, or good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And the tense is, ask and continue to ask. This is more than one gift. And a sentence, one sentence comes to me. Here's the sentence. You, and I know it's not just me, it's leadership in America. You have tried to keep my people safe through control. And you've taken the surprise out of church. And all of a sudden, I realize, oh my, we're not safe because of control. We're safe because of his love. What Jesus says is, if you, it, he said, if your son asks you for bread, you don't give him a stone. And if, you're, if he asks you for a fish, you don't give him a scorpion. And you are evil. How much more will the Father give good gifts? Matthew and the Holy Spirit, Luke to those who ask him and continue to ask him. And it just happened that I have gifts for my kids. My kids are all little at the time. I've got, I get gifts for all of them. And the reason why they're safe is not because they know what's in it. They're going to they're gonna all close their eyes and I'm going to put the gift on their lap. And they're safe because of who's giving it to them. 
We're safe because of the love of God. We need to allow the Spirit to work. We need to allow the Spirit to engage us. So here's the last story. Four months later, I'm speaking at a DTS in West Africa, Benin, West Africa. And uh, I've been asked by a good friend and and it's on the Mercy ship, and there's, I don't know, 40 or 50 young people from all over the world, but it's a hospital ship, so there's about 300 on the ship, and my, the, the guy that invited me is very excited because he said, Don Stevens is on the boat this week. Don Stevens is ahead of all of Mercy ship. Don Stevens is here, and we want you to speak on Thursday night to the whole ship, and I'm like, wow, Don Stevens, this is amazing. I want to make a good impression on Don Stevens. And uh, so the first night, I'm, it's on holiness. The week is on holiness, and the first night is just great. I, I'm so happy with my message, so happy with the response. I'm engaging. I just, I like this. I, I, I don't want, I want to be invited back. I mean, this is nice. But there's a problem. And the problem is, is the next morning I'm speaking on the presence of holiness and it's about the Holy Spirit. And the plan was, is that I would pray for people at the end. And, and that's, that's where we had gotten trouble in at church because in, in the, after we got back from Toronto, God started moving in amazing ways and we would go to pray for people and they'd just fall over and experience God in a number of dynamic ways. Our youth group was on fire and there was this group in the church that thought it was the devil and were trying to get rid of me and they were meeting secretly and it was just, it was just a mess. The whole thing was a mess. And that's the last thing I want to happen when Don Stevens is on the ship. So what I decided was, no problem. I, I know if I pray for people, we're going to be in trouble. So just won't pray for people. I'll give the message, just like I did the night before, and I'll do a general prayer, and we'll be, we'll be done. And I'm just very content with that. And then I had jet lag, so I couldn't, I couldn't fall asleep. And, and they, I'm in the speaker's cabin, and they've got all these amenities, and so they've got a VCR, and they've got a bunch of movies. And I'm like, I might as well pop a movie, and I'm, I'm exhausted. So I, I, I put in this movie called Dead Poet Society. And it, it's about John Keating, who played by Robin Williams, and he's this professor that comes into this very, very straight-laced, traditionalist, high-end Eastern University that you have to wear a suit to class. It's, it's, it's in the late 50s. And, and every, this is where, this is, it's very straight and narrow, and this is how you do it. And John Keating does not fit in the system. He is teaching literature, and he is filled with life, and he, he, he just doesn't have the boundaries everyone else has. And, and so the, in his poetry class, he's teaching on poetry. He says, this thing about poetry being about discipline and meter, he said, just rip that page out. And he just rips the page out, and the students are all like, what? What? He says, I said rip it out. I want everybody. And they're like, Ugh. They rip it out, and, and, but they catch the fire. Poetry's about the heart. Poetry's about, it's, it's about talent. It transcends the mind, and, and, and he tells about how they had a group when he was in college called the Dead Poet Society, and they would read poetry to each other, and then they would write poetry and try to win women with poetry, and, and it was just, it was all, and all of these students come alive, and all of a sudden, they are, 
They've got their own little society and they're, they're meeting at night in the middle of the night and they're, they're reading poetry to each other and they're writing poetry and trying it out on each other and, and they come alive. And then somebody takes it too far and one of the young men commits suicide. It's just, it's very tragic. But the administration sees this is a chance to get rid of this guy. We have not liked him from the beginning. He hasn't fit from the beginning. We're going to get rid of him. So what they do is they line up all the young students that are, were in the Dead Poets Society, and they bring them in one at a time, and they've got this statement that makes John Keating responsible for that suicide, and they all have to sign it. If you don't sign it, you're kicked out. Your, your future is over. You're out of this university. So one by one, they go in, and they betray their favorite professor. Last scene of the movie. The, the new professor is there, and he has them turn to the page that's ripped out, and they're all like, well, that, well, that page doesn't exist, sir. And he's like, what? What? Anyway, um, John Keating comes to the door, and, and he peeps in, and, and he says, I'll come back later. I, I, he said, no. The professor says, no, get, get your stuff now. Just get your stuff and get out of here. So he goes back there to get his stuff, and the professors, or the kids that were in the Dead Poets Society, they're all just... They're just feeling it. They're just feeling their own betrayal. And, and so he comes back out, and one of the kids, his name is Todd Anderson, he can't stand it anymore. And he gets up on his desk, like uh, John Keating had earlier, reciting a poem. And he says, Captain, my captain. And the new professor's like, sit down, Mr. Anderson. Sit down. There will be consequences. He, he, won't, he won't move. Captain, my captain. And the professor, just as the professor comes, another student gets up on his desk and says, Captain, my captain. And pretty soon there's 20 kids that are all standing. Captain, my captain. And right before John Keating leaves the room, he says, thank you, man. And he walks out. Now, while this is happening, I start, I start weeping. I am not a crier, but I can't stop weeping. I've never felt the pain that I felt. That, that, that the Holy Spirit, the only one that brings life, the only one that brings joy, the only one that actually makes Christianity fun, I was betraying. I was saying, I, didn't want, I don't want what you do. Uh, I, I was saying, I'm, I'm more concerned about Don Stevens and my image and being invited back than I am about your presence, than I am about your moving. And the betrayal, it was like a knife. I couldn't stop crying. And it just became very clear. I didn't bring you here to give a couple messages. The whole reason that you're here is to impart my glory. I want to encounter these kids. And I just said, God, please forgive me. I'm, I'm all in. I, I, I will never commit this betrayal again. I will do, I don't care what it looks like tomorrow, I will do whatever you want me to do. And that next morning, God moved in those kids. Thursday night, God was all over moving on the 300. It was powerful. And um, Every one of us has to decide whether we're about image, 
about people, about impressing people, or about anointing. Everyone has to decide. Could we stand to our feet? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Maybe you're here today and you are very concerned about your own spiritual life, that, that, that you are under some type of judgment, the Michael judgment, that you have in some way despised him, that you don't really know about these dancers and the people that God told me and you don't, you've seen somebody fall over and just like, I don't like that. I, don't, I wish that didn't happen. And why, why can't we just, why, why does there have to be these these people that God is, listen, you're here today, I beg you to repent. And I'm not saying that everything everybody does is of God, and I'm not saying you don't have a right to examine it. What I'm saying is, is when the Holy Spirit moves, You, you and I need to focus on him and not on people. We need to lay aside our suspicions and our criticisms and our judgments and, well, this is how I think it should be. Well, who cares how you think it should be? You're not in charge of the church. Jesus is. And, and what God wants to do in this body and what in you and, and me individually is going to break Control. He's going to break religion. We owe, for some reason, it's easy to see the religious spirit in someone else, but not in ourselves. I was shocked when God said, the issue is control. I'm laying on the floor. I can't even move. And he's like, you need to let go, buddy. I love you. You need to let go. It's too much about you. So here's what I want to do. Would you close your eyes because this is between you and God. If you have despised in any way the moving of the Holy Spirit or maybe been embarrassed by it, whether it be tongues or somebody dancing or somebody slain in the Spirit, and you just, you just want to repent. <laughs> you just want to repent. You feel like the Michael, that, that barrenness of Michael is kind of on you spiritually and you don't want that anymore. You want that thing reversed. Just, I want you to just open your arms before the Lord right now. Lord, I want to thank you for cutting my heart open while watching a movie. I want to thank you, Jesus for the Holy Spirit who brings life, who brings joy, who brings peace, who, who doesn't always stay in the boundaries that we would make for him. Lord, I want to thank you for that morning where I literally couldn't move when I was trying to be in control and you were dealing with me. Father, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters. We don't want to resist you, Holy Spirit. We don't want to be stubborn. We don't want to be against you. We, we want to respond to you. And so, God, we give you our opinions and judgments and suspicions about charismatic people or even about our own past experiences that maybe we despise now. We're kind of embarrassed by them. 
you know, that was kind of embarrassing. I don't ever want to put myself where I'm out there like that again. Please, God, we don't want to be barren individually. We don't want to be barren as a church. Lord, you want to do amazing things in Madison. I believe that with all my heart. You want this to be a place where you can pour, pour out your spirit, where, where miracles can happen because you are here, where signs and wonders are here. You want this place to be safe. Not because of control, but because of your love. That, that when people come in, I remember when I went into Toronto, I felt the love of God. I was wrapped up in the love of God. Yeah, weird things were happening, but I was perfectly loved. And so I always knew I was safe, even though there were surprises happening. Lord, I'm jealous for your surprise for each one here. God, we pray for our conference this week, which I believe is part of us going into the land, that you've called us into fullness, that we're to go into the land, that we're having that anointing service on Friday night. Come however you want to come. Just anoint us. Just anoint us. Break image off of us. Break everything religious off of us. And let us connect with you, I pray, in Jesus' name.